Good morning. Good morning and deep morning. All together today, together at this hour. The last weeks, the last months, dealing with sickness, seeing people's demise in the hundreds of thousands. Personally, mourning, having lost somebody who we took care of, who we gave our life and our time to, deep mourning. And then even more intense, unimaginable to us who have not experienced such loss is to mourn for somebody whose life was cut short by the actions of another human being. This facet of humanity is with us. No matter where we come from, no matter where our background is, atrocities and human inflicted violence, hurt is with us, with humanity all along. So today, when I speak about what I'm speaking about, it comes from this person having had this very experience of having grown up this way, of being in a body that is composed of these elements in a mind and a heart that has been formed by karmic forces, by conditions. And I offer it to you in the spirit of openness, in the spirit of laying bare all that is to be mourned, all that we have to become aware of, but also deeply knowing that the opening up of this is the only way to extend ourselves to be able to incorporate and man manifest the entire spectrum of humanity. So, I would like to start with a story. I will tell you a story and let's see where it will bring us. There was a young man living in the South. And like so many who grow up there, he lost his father and was a fatherless child working to support his mother by doing jobs, this or that. Let's say he delivered things to people to keep himself and mother alive. No time to go to school no time 
to be educated, to learn how to read, to learn how to write. Just thrown into this fight of having to stay alive. And one day during a delivery, it happened that this young man heard a song. And there was one line in that song that really struck him, like the light came on. Now you might be thinking, what kind of a story is that? Because I could go on to tell it in these vague terms, but so far what we've heard reflect many experiences that the young African-American male might have here in the United States, might have in other parts of the world or other discriminated against minorities or even majorities might have that experience. This story goes on that this young man wants to go north because there's a school somewhere where he could learn about that song. And in himself, always these wonderful lines and songs. Yet when he arrives at that school in the north, the first question he's asked, hey, you are from the south, you know? The south people are no good. But still, he's being let into that school. And in the school, assigned kitchen duty. You go, you peel the potatoes. So I don't know if you've caught on by now, but this is the story of Daikan Enozenji, the sixth ancestor. Now he didn't hear a song. He heard a line from the Diamond Sutra. He did not go north to study making songs, but he went to see, to, to see the fifth ancestor. And he was not peeling potatoes, but he was polishing rice. He was not an Amazon delivery person fulfilling an essential job, but very similar. He brought firewood to people so they could continue to cook, to heat, and be comfortable. This is a topic that is age old. And I'm telling you the story of Ino Daikan Zenji because it continues in the same way. Even though he excels and his poem is chosen to be the one to receive the approval of the fifth ancestor. The fifth ancestor had to hand over the robe and the bowl at night secretly because the forces of the monastery, how it was set up, made him be aware that it will not be safe for this sadhana to receive that prize. And thus, Eno had to sneak out at night. And of course it was discovered 
he took something that is not his. It couldn't be his. It doesn't come to a person like that. And the monastery police was sent after him with military experience, a former general by the name of Mio. And this is where I want to point to case number 23 of the gateless barrier. The koan that I want to look at together with you from the point of view of where we are, from the point of view of Zen practitioners, and from the point of view of somebody who has invested or dedicated, given his life to this type of investigation. Now, of course, the first thing that struck me is, well, it is not just us in the Zen tradition who have the gateless barrier. No, there are gateless barriers in this world of humanity that are erected by human beings to keep other human beings from access to what in the fundamental truth of equality is theirs. A different gateless barrier that we need to break through. Hakuin Zenji opens the Zazen Wasan with the words, Shujo Honrai Hotoke Nari. All sentient beings are fundamentally Buddha. That is the playing field upon which all of the human activity is based upon. And as we will see in the koan, that's where the difficulty starts. So how does case number 23 go? The parts that I would want to point out today is that, you know, escape. He came to a pass and the monk Myo who was sent after him, a former general, caught up with him. It is not that Eno was running away. No, he was just walking his path with what he had been entrusted with. He had no intention of escape. But here comes Mio. It would be too easy to just look at him as the one who has been sent to fetch the prize that had been taken. Not at all. He came from the monastery. He came from the place of practice, looking deep inside himself, looking, exploring the human condition. Yet because he had the background of being able to, tra to track people and to find them, he was sent after. You better go, you better go. You know, this was taken in a way that we cannot approve of. And so he followed, he followed his orders. And there they meet at the top of a pass. Now, 
when they meet, it is very important to see through how that meeting happens. Here comes the police. having cornered the offender. I have come to take back the robe and the bowl because you took it and we do not approve of it. Faithfully, still with good intentions for the sake or believing the sake of the Dharma, Myo demands the robe and the bowl back the symbols of that awakening, of that carrying in oneself, that birthright of Buddha nature. Give it back to me. What does Eno do? He does not fight back. Here it is, he said, and he put it down on a rock. It is your to take. The Dharma is not to be fought over. This opening of oneself to what seems to be the other that is persecuting us, that is attacking us, in the humbleness, the humility of knowing that we do not know, created a relationship between Myo and Eno that is non-adversarial. Myo was startled already by that. It is the Dharma that I'm after. It is not this physical representation and Certainly, I did not intend to be aggressive in trying to get something back. I don't even understand. Unable to bring himself to exert violence in taking back and following his orders, Mio asks Eno for guidance. Brother, in you I see something that I have not seen. Thank you for your openness. Please show me and tell me about what I don't know, what I am not aware of. And this is when Eno, the sixth ancestor, says the famous words, do not think good. Do not think evil. At this moment, where is the true self of Myo? In the Zenrin Kusho and uh, the capping phrase collection that we have in Rinzai Zen, there is this one. It's an eight character phrase. Isai no zennaku spete, shiryo suru nakare. Do not think at all about good and bad. That might not make a lot of sense if we 
just apply that to the phenomenal world. Because clearly there are actions that are violent and that are based upon harmful intentions. This is much more in the field of Zen practice where and what I am talking about today. So let me make clear to you how I see it, how this practitioner sees himself in the participation here. From my point of view and from my experience, Zen practice that we engage in is the deliberate practice of transforming ourselves, our understanding by awakening to the truth of that Shujo Honrai Hotokenari, to that Buddha nature that we all have to dissolve the idea of a fixated identity, to know and experience that equality that is at the root source for all phenomena. Zen practice is the transformation of the individual. That's only one side of that coin. The other side I call civic practice. Civic practice is the practice of a human being in society, the human being in community, and that is the practice of working with the systems that have been set up in that society, in that human world. And in the case of Zen practice, of course, it is informed by the deep experiences of the practice. There are many other ways you could, we fill in Zen practice because that is what we are doing. There are other human beings who inform their civic practice from their religious background. Faith, trust in the good, whatever it is, all of those, when they become the basis of a benevolent civic engagement, are wonderful. So here we are. Do not think of evil. Do not think of good. When we talk about good and evil, what we do is we create this dichotomy. We flatten out the multitude and the wonderful fullness of the human experience and the phenomena. We create one side as good and one side as evil, as evil. But what we forget about is that in between, there's a lot of space. And that space we experience as human beings as indifference. There are so many things that our mind is indifferent to. No, it doesn't affirm me. It doesn't negate me. I don't care. That is not a way that we as Zen practitioners can engage in this world. If we say, if, if we say and if we believe that Zen practice is learning how to become involved 100% in our lives, then it can't 
just be the polarity of the clearly good and the clearly bad. That is not possible. We have to see what we are indifferent to. And we have to learn to see what our indifference does and what it means for other people to be indifferent as well. Now in the civic layer, and if you look at the political layer even, you have two parties that are opposed. You have two philosophies that are opposed. And when it comes to elections, it's neither the one side on the right nor the one side on the left that makes the decision because they exactly know what they are after. But the decision is made by the non-action of those who are indifferent. The same thing if we don't speak up against racist policies, against economic discrimination and so on. That silence is indifference. That silence is indifference that allows it to happen. And the dichotomy is the world in which we live. But we have to be really, really careful because that dichotomy is often informed by just discursive thinking. So this one ocean of non-discrimination, of no self, of the universe that is pregnant with everything that will come into existence, when it splits, it doesn't split into two, it splits into three. With the space between the two poles being that space of indifferent self. It's a trinity of dualism. It's not just two. Yeah. So this dichotomy, this dichotomy is caused by, discriminate, by discriminating thought. Discriminating thought leads to a cycle of cogitation that ultimately leads to identification. We pick and choose. Oh yeah, this one is what I like. This is what I want to be seen like. And that cycle goes over and over and ends up in producing identities and assumptions. And being deeply involved, even in this kind of thought, takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of commitment to clearly think through. So it is so much easier to replace all of that with assumptions. Assumptions lead to stereotypes. And then when it comes to interacting with other human beings, if there's the stereotype of mule chasing the escapee, Eno, the relationship, is lost before it even started. Loss of relationship by stereotype and by assumptions is the dehumanization by abstraction. Let me say that again. If we relate to others by assumptions through stereotypes, we, by abstracting them and not making real relationship, dehumanize not only them, 
but ourselves. How often have you gone to Doksan and been told about the biggest disease of the human mind is abstraction? When it comes to relationship with other human beings, abstraction has no place. And then we talk about freedom, you know? Freedom is such a nice word. Freedom, the land of the free. Freedom in history. Freedom, liberty, justice. Yes, the French Revolution, wonderful. It instilled all of those wonderful concepts. Yet it ended up with the guillotine and decapitating those who were seen as the oppressors. It took several hundred years for us as human beings to come to a place like South Africa, where it did not end up by decapitating the oppressors, but by, with full heart and full mind, engaging in the process of reconciliation. The freedom we enjoy in the United States, in the free world, is a freedom that is not like free beer that you consume. It is more like a free puppy that you take in, that you have to clean up after, that you have to feed, that you have to groom, and that you have to love. So if there is one thing that we can do as human beings and as citizens of the world, as citizens of a nation, is to nurture that freedom in ourselves, to support the liberty of all who live on this planet with us. And it starts with very easy, non-spiritual steps. Go and vote. This is how the system works. Inspire others who are indifferent to break out of the indifference and to cast their vote. And even then, casting your vote is not enough. Okay, I voted. No. You delegate. When you think about Zen, there are two terms that we know about of incomplete Zen realization. One of them is the Zen devil, the Zen Tenma, who had this wonderful experience and deep awakening, but who is unable to manifest it in the world of human beings, in the world of civics as well. Or there is the Yakoze, the white fox, who pretends to have actualization, but falls short of living up to the responsibility of insight. Nobody can be guaranteed to not act as a Zen Tenma, as a devil, or as a fox at times. But what awakening means and being awake and in the practice of awakening is to always keep our eyes open without abstraction and looking right at what is there in our thoughts, in our actions.
Now here's another capping phrase. Ichu ni ku o kezuri, kuchu ni ki o kezuru. Carve words out of meaning. Carve action out of words. From the Zen practice point of view, we sit, we reflect, we contemplate, we turn inside, we dissolve this self that is fixated. And then we have to put it in words once we get even to Doksan or even more out into the world. But then words will not be enough. We have to carve action out of those words. And actions means living not indifferently. There is hope. There is the basic principle of impermanence, of change that is built into this universe. And if we can effect change in the world where we have ability to effect change, then that is a life fully lived.